Chapter Six of The Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Six. There had only been time to satisfy Daniel's profound and touching interest in his brother's work for the examination when the tea-bell rang and they went down to the drawing-room. Piers noticed that Mrs. Hannaford had made a special toilette. So rarely did a new acquaintance enter the house that she was a little fluttered in receiving Daniel Otway, whose manners evidently impressed and pleased her. Had he known his brother well, Piers would have understood that this exhibition of fine courtesy meant a peculiar interest on Daniel's part. Such interest was not difficult to excite. There needed only an agreeable woman's face of a type not familiar to him, in circumstances which offered the chance of intimacy, and Mrs. Hannaford, as it happened, made peculiar appeal to Daniel's sensibilities. As they conversed, her thin cheeks grew warm, her eyes gathered light, she unfolded a charm of personality barely to be divined in her usual despondent mood. Daniel's talk was animated, varied, full of cleverness and character. No wonder if his hostess thought that she had never met so delightful a man. Incidentally, in quite the permissible way, he made known that he was a connoisseur of art. He spoke of his travels on the track of this or that old master, of being consulted by directors of great galleries, by wealthy amateurs. He was gracefully anecdotic. He allowed one to perceive a fine enthusiasm, and Piers listened quite as attentively as Mrs. Hannaford, for he had no idea how Daniel made his living. The kernel of truth in this fascinating representation was that Daniel Otway, among other things, collected bric-a-brac for a certain dealer, and at times himself disposed of it to persons with more money than knowledge or taste. At the age of thirty-eight, this was the point he had reached in a career which once promised brilliant things. In whatever profession he had steadily pursued, Daniel would have come to the front, but precisely that steady pursuit was the thing impossible to him. His special weakness, originally amiable, had become an enthralling vice. The soul of goodness in the man was corrupted, and had turned poisonous. The conversation was still unflagging when Olga and her cousin returned from their day's ramble. Daniel was presented to them. Olga at once noticed her mother's strange vivacity, and sitting silent, closely observed Mr. Otway. Irene, also, studied him with her keen eyes, not, one would have guessed, with very satisfactory results. As time was drawing on, Mrs. Hannaford presently asked Daniel if he could give them the pleasure of staying to dine, and Daniel accepted without a moment's hesitation. When the ladies retired to dress, he went up to Piers' room, where a little dialogue of some importance passed between the brothers. "'Have you heard anything about that matter I spoke of?' Daniel began by asking confidentially. Piers answered in the affirmative, 
and gave details much to the elder's satisfaction thereupon daniel began talking in a strain of yet closer confidence sitting knee to knee with piers and tapping him occasionally in a fraternal way it might interest piers to know that he was writing a book a book which would revolutionize opinion with regard to certain matters and certain periods of art the work was all but finished unfortunately no publisher could be found to bear the entire expense of this publication which of course appealed to a very small circle of readers the illustrations made it costly and in short daniel found himself pressingly in need of a certain sum to complete this undertaking which could not but establish his fame as a connoisseur and in all likelihood would secure his appointment as director of a certain gallery which he must not name the money could be had for the asking from twenty persons a mere bagatelle of a hundred and fifty pounds or so but how much pleasanter it would be if this little loan could be arranged between brothers daniel would engage to return the sum on publication of the book probably some six months hence of course he merely threw out the suggestion i shall only be too glad to help exclaimed piers at once you shall have the money as soon as i get it that's really noble of you my dear boy by the by let all of this be strictly entre nous to tell you the truth i want to give the dear old philosopher of wensleydale a pleasant surprise i'm afraid he misjudges me we have not been on the terms of perfect confidence which i should desire but this book will delight him i know let it come as a surprise piers undertook to say nothing and daniel after washing his hands and face and smoothing his thin hair was radiant with gratification charming girl miss derwent eh piers i seem to know the name dr derwent why to be sure capital acquaintance for you lucky rascal to have got into this house miss hannaford too has points nothing so good at your age my dear boy as the habit of associating with intelligent girls and women emollet mores and something more of that an excellent influence every way i'm no preacher piers but i hold by morality it's the salt of life the salt of life at dinner daniel surpassed himself he told admirable stories he started just the right topics and dealt with them in the right way he seemed to know intuitively the habits of thought of each person he addressed the hostess was radiant olga looked almost happy irene after a seeming struggle with herself which an unkind observer might have attributed to displeasure at being rivalled in talk yielded to the cheery influence and held her own against the visitor in wit and merriment not till half-past ten did daniel resolve to tear himself away his thanks to mrs hannaford for an enjoyable evening were spoken with impressive sincerity and the lady's expression of hope that they might meet again made his face shine piers accompanied him to the station after humming to himself for a few moments as they walked along the dark lane daniel slipped a hand through his brother's arm 
and spoke affectionately. "'You don't know how glad I am that we have met, old boy. Now don't let us lose sight of each other. By the by, do you ever hear of Alec?' Alexander, Jerome Otway's second son, had not communicated with his father for a good many years. His reputation was that of a good-natured wastrel. Piers replied that he knew nothing whatever of him. "'He is in London,' pursued Daniel, "'and he is rather anxious to meet you. Now let me give you a word of warning. Alec isn't at all a bad sort. I confess I like him, for all his faults, and, unfortunately, he has plenty of them. But to you, Piers, he would be dangerous, dangerous,' first of all, because of his want of principle. You know my feelings on that point. Then, I'm afraid he knows of your little inheritance, and he might, I don't say he would, but he might be tempted to presume upon your good nature. You understand? What is he doing? Piers inquired. Nothing worth speaking of, I fear. Alec has no stability, so unlike you and me in that. You and I inherit the brave old man's love of work. Alec was born an idler. If I thought you might influence him for the good, but, no, it is too risky. One doesn't like to speak so of a brother, Piers, but I feel it my duty to warn you against poor Alec. Basta. That night Piers did not close his eyes. The evening's excitement and the unusual warmth of the weather enhanced the feverishness due to his passionate thoughts. Before daybreak he rose and tried to read, but no book would hold his attention. Again he flung himself onto the bed, and lay till sunrise, vainly groaning for sleep. With the new day came a light rain, which threatened to continue. Dullness ruled at breakfast, the cousins spoke fitfully of what they might do if the rain ceased. "'A good time for work,' said Irene to Piers. "'But perhaps it's all the same to you, rain or shine?' "'Much the same,' Piers answered mechanically. He passed a strange morning. Though to begin with he had seated himself resolutely, the attempt to study was ridiculous.' The sight of his books and papers moved him to loathing. He watched the sky, hoping to see it broken. He stood by his door, listening, listening if perchance he might hear the movements of the girls, or hear a word in Irene's voice. Once he did hear her, she called to Olga, laughingly, and at the sound he quivered, his breath stopped. The clouds parted. A fresh breeze unveiled the summer blue. Piers stood at the window, watching, and at length he had his reward. The cousins came out and walked along the garden paths, conversing intimately. At one moment, Olga gave a glance up at his window, and he darted back, fearful of having been detected. Were they talking of him? How would Miss Derwent speak of him? Did he interest her in the least? He peeped again. Irene was standing with her hands linked at the back of her head, seeming to gaze up at a lovely cloud above the great elm tree. This attitude showed her to perfection. Piers felt sick and dizzy as his eyes fed upon her form. At an impulse as sudden as irresistible, 
he pushed up the sash miss hannaford it's going to be fine you see the girls turned to him with surprise shall you have a walk after lunch he continued certainly replied olga we were just talking about it a moment's pause then would you let me go with you of course if you can really spare the time thank you he shut down the window turned away stood in an agony of shame why had he done this absurd thing was it not as good as telling them that he had been spying irene's absolute silence meant disapproval perhaps annoyance and olga's remark about his ability to spare time had hinted the same thing her tone was not quite natural she averted her look in speaking idiot that he was he had forced his company upon them when more likely than not they much preferred to be alone oh tactless idiot now they would never be able to walk in the garden without a suspicion that he was observing them he all but resolved to pack a travelling bag and leave home at once it seemed impossible to face irene at luncheon when the bell rang he stole slunk downstairs scarcely had he entered the dining-room when he began an apology after all he could not go this afternoon he must work the sky had tempted him but mr otway said irene regarding him with mock sternness we don't allow for that kind of thing it is shameful vacillation i love a long word what's the other word i was trying for still longer i mean tergiversation it comes from tergum and verso and means turning the back it is rude for you to turn your back on ladies piers would have liked to fall at her feet in his voiceless gratitude she had rescued him from his shame had put an end to all awkwardness and instead of merely permitting had invited his company that decides it miss derwent of course i shall come forgive me for being so uncivil at lunch and during their long walk afterwards irene was very gracious to him she had never talked with him in such a tone of entire friendliness all at once they seemed to have become intimate yet there was another change less pleasing to the young man irene talked as though either she had become older or he younger she counselled him with serious kindness urged him to make rational rules about study and recreation you're overdoing it you know to-day you don't look very well i had no sleep last night he replied abruptly shunning her gaze that's bad you weren't so foolish as to try to make up for lost time no no i couldn't sleep he reddened hung his head miss derwent grew almost maternal this she pointed out was the natural result of nerves overstrained he must really use common sense come now would he promise i will promise you anything olga glanced quickly at him from one side irene on the other looked away with a slight smile no she said you shall promise miss hannaford she will have you under observation whereas you might play tricks with me after i'm gone olga 
be strict with this young gentleman he is well-meaning but he vacillates at times he even tergiversates a shocking thing there was laughter but piers suffered he felt humiliated had he been alone with miss derwent he might have asserted his manhood and it would have been her turn to blush to be confused he had a couple of years more than she the trouble was that he could not feel this superiority of age she treated him like a schoolboy and to himself he seemed one even more than irene's he avoided olga's look and walked on shamefaced the remaining days until miss derwent departed were to him a mere blank of misery impossible to open a book and sleep came only with uttermost exhaustion how he passed the hours he knew not spying at windows listening for voices creeping hither and thither in torment of multiform ignominy forcing speech when he longed to be silent not daring to break silence when his heart seemed bursting with desire to utter itself a terrible time and irene persevered in her elder sister attitude she was kindness itself but never seemed to remark a strangeness in his look and manner once he found courage to say that he would like to know dr derwent she replied that her father was a very busy man but that no doubt some opportunity for their meeting would arise and that was all when the moment came for leave-taking piers tried to put all his soul into a look but he failed his eyes dropped even as his tongue faltered and irene derwent was gone if in the night that followed a wish could have put an end to his existence piers would have died he saw no hope in living and the burden seemed intolerable love anguish of one and twenty we smile at it but it is anguish all the same and may break or mould a life End of chapter 6